Hello and welcome to Popcast, your guide to what's popping off in the live music industry with the people behind it. Each month, we'll be chatting with promoters, festival owners, and venue directors to hear their thoughts about the latest trends in the industry and their advice for you. This is Mikey Sherman with Eventbrite. I am Director of New Business Development and Acquisition here on the East Coast, talking with some friends and colleagues and partners. I've got Jake and Rami, who I'll let introduce themselves. Cool. So I'm Jake Rosenthal. I uh, started a company in 2008 with Rami, who's, who's here with me, called Popgun Presents, which uh, we founded to basically have uh, parties and shows in college with friends of ours and no real uh, driving idea behind it all except to have fun, which kind of grew over the next few years uh, into what is now sort of a fully-fledged concert production and promotion company. And somewhere around the middle of that process in 2008 or 2009, we got involved with a music venue called Glasslands in Williamsburg, uh, Brooklyn, and we later came to own that venue. And we were doing it at our height there, about 40 events a month, and obviously booking and promoting those through our company, uh, Popgun, the whole time. I'm Rami, I'm Jake's business partner. I also started Popgun eight years ago. I've been handling most of the book through these years. You guys started the company together eight years ago. Yeah. yeah. How'd that happen? So I went to school for music technology at NYU, which was recording, engineering, mixing, live sound, all that kind of stuff. I saw always run around the city doing studio internships, which more or less amounted to, you know, like, you know, adjusting mics and, and uh, cleaning toilets and yeah. stuff. Wrapping cables. And wrapping cables. Yeah. But mostly cleaning toilets. Yeah. And, um, literally. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, we had a lot of friends in music at that time, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of our friends were in bands, a lot of our friends were throwing parties, and I think, uh, it was also a really great time for, for live events in Brooklyn. And so we were finding ourselves at a lot of, a lot of really crazy events and really amazing energy to them and, like, an awesome community that was flying around, around sort of underground and, and DIY shit around that time, and I think that we felt like we wanted to do something with that. And we started actually representing artists and booking tours. So actually as a booking agency where, you know, we were kind of starting to book at a time where a lot of, you know, the communication started to happen over email versus phone. Yeah. So that's why you could have like, you know, just a random email, like starting to book shows in one city and then to the other. And, sure. you know, people had to transition to that. So we had a, a smaller roster that we had for about two years. Some of those acts are still around and playing, you know, decent-sized rooms. And that's how we got really involved with a lot of shows in Brooklyn, mostly at Glasslands. And that's kind of where we were able to, you know, connect and bring a bunch of acts across, from across the country. Amazing. So I think one of the themes that I just heard and will probably continue to come up throughout this conversation is, is goals, because they evolve as you guys have, right? So the goals then were to have a good time. How have those goals evolved, or have they? I think that maybe somewhere a few years into doing what we were doing, as we started thinking about it as a as a business, and as we started thinking about it as a as you know something we were actually going to do, you know, outside of you know it was originally just sort of what we could fit in outside of our, our you know the jobs that we, were, that we had at that time. When it started shifting into into, into something that was supporting us in our in, in our really measly little lifestyle, <laughs> um, I think that. It started, when we started thinking about it in that way, I think the, the focus shifted from us and us having a good time and our friends having a good time. I think, and maybe Ron will have a different view, but I think we started focusing at some point in the middle 
on understanding that maybe our job was to do right by the artists, and not you know what I'm saying, and not and not by and not and not by ourselves. And that's something now we really think about and focus on is how do we do the best job for the show and for the artists, and um, make sure that when they come and do a show with us, that we've done our best yeah. for them. Exactly. And I think, that, I think that's how the shift, that, that's how the focus has shifted. Yeah, improvement has has been a big part of it improving but also challenging yourself and kind of setting new newer goals to kind of like see where you want to go and how you can work towards those because you know in the end booking can be pretty repetitive you know it is all around album cycles but you know it's just making sure you're excited about the music that you're still booking and and still having smaller projects here and there cool and so would you guys say there was like a come to jesus aha moment where that focus shifted on your good time to everybody else's, the artists, the attendee. I think right around 2011 is when we started all of a sudden booking a lot more international acts and working more with people in the industry. It used to be a lot more like just directly with the artists and so as we started to you know, have relationships with the agents and want to maintain them, I feel like the, uh, I think that's when it first started to dial in. What were I guess some of the most illustrative experiences in terms of what not to do and what to do for someone perhaps getting into the business. We very much were thinking about it as kind of our party and our yeah. and, and a party for our friends and, and a show for our friends. When you think of it that way, you end up in a few situations over the years where you become part of the party and it can get it can sort of get outside of your control. Sure. And so letting go of that, you know, perspective from events. And, and shifting into a perspective where it's you're not part of the party, you're there, you know, you're there to create that experience for other people, not for yourself. That's a really interesting point. How do you separate professional from personal when they're so deeply tied in this industry? I think each person kind of like has their own mix of, of both, you know, it really, and it keeps on changing, I've noticed, like, at least for myself, like each year, where it's like, okay, this year I'm going to be a little bit more professional, and like this year I'm going to be way more, like a lot more social, sure. but I think, I think it just really depends on, you know, just making sure at the end of the day everyone's like really happy and like just reading the situation, because certain acts require more professionalism, other other acts just really do want to hang out. So I think it's just picking up on on signals here and there. Sure. And so what kind of systems do you use besides your charming personalities to ensure that you're you're playing the right card at the right time? Do you have data to back up your decisions and conversations for those that like the professional conversations? Do you have longer dinners with the folks that could care less about data but would prefer your company. How does how does that look for you guys? I don't think anyone thinks about it that way. You know, I mean like ultimately we're doing we're in you know, we're in this industry, we're doing what we're doing and it's so fundamentally social. You know, people come out to shows to enjoy themselves with their friends mm-hmm. and with the artists. That's the reason people go out to shows, you know, for, for the experience of being so, of being social and hearing music that they love. And so to me Everything that we do is sort of the layer on top of that. And so it's all social, you know, it's all about relationships. And like Rom said, I think you just, uh, you enter every situation just looking to do what's, what's best. Um, it's mostly intuition, I would say, you know, just going back to that. I mean, you can clearly tell how to, you know, assess each situation and each person. Sure. What do you think is a good example of you guys trusting your gut on an early booking that our listeners today would be psyched to hear about? There's a few. I mean, I... 
to give you an example, Fantagram, when we booked them, that was like what got us like the Glasslands gig right at the beginning. Cool. Um, I mean, obviously, having done people like Disclosure's first U.S. show, people like Alt J, sure. um, Team Impala. Oh, yeah, I was there. Um, yeah, very cool. And so, yeah, I think this is a really interesting point, right? Because it's, we're, we're talking about three different, very complementary, but significantly different elements of this business, which are intuition, relationship, and professionalism, which can be rooted in data. And they don't necessarily intersect each other perfectly. How do you guys use those elements of your business traits? I think that it goes back to doing this job and in this industry, it's not all about data, it's not all about money either. Right. You know, frankly. Well, let's put it this way, there's a lot easier ways to make money. <laughs> yeah. It's once again just like realizing, okay, are, are these artists any good? Sure. Like, is this gonna like become something? Do I believe in it? And sure. I think that has been at least for booking up my kind of so as an example sense. as yeah. an example like the data you know there's a lot of sources of data these days right like you know you can there's a, there's services all over the place that tell you you know whose social media stats are trending and all that kind of stuff but like Rob was saying there's there's plenty of there's plenty of times that we book stuff and promote stuff at a loss mm. or or financial loss or take risks on stuff that we're not you know we're not sure are necessarily a financially safe bet. And again, it comes back to that, I think, just kind of that matrix of that things that you're considering when you, when you want to get involved with art, right? Which is that, <laughs> which is that it doesn't mean something to me, you know? You know, what does it mean to me? If we're working with an artist that I've been, whose albums I've been listening to since I was 10 years old, you know, that means something to us, you know? That means something to me. Um, but you can't go that direction entirely either, right? Because right. or else you don't end up in business yeah. very long. You know, you got to throw in what you, what you love with what you know, with a consideration about is it is it a sustainable you know does it make a sustainable business? And I think that we've always focused on trying to figure out what that balance is. You know? I think you guys do it very well. Do you think that there's clearly no equation to get this right? But if there were a combination of special sauces, what do you guys feel like you do very well and differently, perhaps? I think we try to stay very open-minded about things, mm -hmm. and I think that means. That, that applies to like the music we're listening to, genres of stuff that we're interested in booking. You know, we've, we've always tried to be pretty all-embracing when it comes to music. You know what I mean? Which is kind of why we've fallen into this striving motto to what we book of being emerging. You know, emerging stuff that we think has something really interesting to say, because that doesn't really force us to be a, a niche by genre. It doesn't force us to be a niche by the communities that we're, that we're reaching out to. It allows us to kind of continue to be interested in the new stuff. And to switch things up, you know, just because there are, there were a lot of fans that are kind of like pigeonholing yourself in a certain kind of genre, it's always kind of switching that up and also realizing that like, you know, there's a time frame for everything and, you know, people don't always want to hear a certain thing and just along with that, I think are uh, being open to like, and knowing that, you know, your taste in music is also changing and like, you know, kind of like going with that too. We've never thought of what we do as static. We, I don't think we've ever been like, this is what the business does, and we've got to find all the music that reinforces that, that particular thing. It's changed so much, you know, and that's why Glassland's changed over time, and that's why what we're doing next is going to change. And New York itself. I mean, that's that's, New York has changed. Yeah. I think you guys kind of create a really interesting landscape with that, that picture you painted, which is that to pigeonhole yourself into one thing and book and act as static and accordingly to sustain that business is not your model. 
But some might say it's the model of the bigger businesses in the space with the added consolidation. Mm-hmm. You see companies like SFX, you see companies like Live Nation, AEG, um, even even specific genre break breakouts more so on the SFX side of things. There's been great success, and then there are companies like SFX who have filed for bankruptcy as of today. What's your take on the consolidation? Is there validity to that, despite the fact that you guys do it differently? What's your perspective on, on all the consolidation you're seeing in the promoter spaces? Well, I don't think we think very much about that, okay. to be honest. But I think that the lesson that I, one of the lessons I've learned, and we found this a lot over the years that we've been booking shows, is that I think to book something successfully, I think that you have to care about it. Um, I think that you have to understand it, and I think to understand it, you have to really, you have to genuinely care about it. And so that's what we stick to doing. I don't know. Um, it just kind of, it just seems natural. Like anything, like anything, if it's genuine, it will come across that way to your fan base and your crowd. So like, you know, we kind of feel like run in ourselves some sort of check to be like, hey, is is this real? Like, is this authentic? So. And do you have any checks and balances against that intuition? And not to say that it's not enough to care, but there's a lot of data out there now, right? There are companies that are providing data to their artists and their managers in ways that they haven't before. Yeah. But there's a danger in chasing data. I mean, like, both artistically and, and business-wise. And I think that you end up in a position of, again, chasing rather than, than leading. And I think that what we're trying to do is take the things that we think are valuable pieces of art or pieces of culture and that are a meaningful addition to that conversation and to, and to I guess, just say that we think it's important, you know, and, and I think that, like, you can't do that genuinely yeah. with a sense of, uh, of authenticity if you are making your decisions because of data. You want people to experience this with you because you care. How do you ensure that the most people find out about what you care about so they care about it, so they tell their friends, so everybody cares about it. What does that look like for you? There's no, I don't think there's any perfect way to describe it, but what are some of the tactics that you like to use? I think it's just a constant process of just being on, you know, for one, just being, you know, who you are on socials and, and, and putting in kind of messaging out, you know, your sense of humor or your, uh, or, just, or just what you care, you know, the things you care about on socials, right? We spend a fair amount of time, you know, doing copywriting for our newsletter so that there's always that kind of introduction, introductory blurb that kind of, you know, sets a uh, kind of like a topical joke, really. That's sure. all it is. And I mean, obviously it doesn't, it never really connects directly with the music we're promoting. But it's reflective of our personality and, and I think that, you know, it's just fun for people, you know, and ultimately I think that's like, we're just here to like, you know, we're all here to just listen to music and have a good time. Facilitators are fun. Yeah. Very cool. When we started, their social media was, was not basically non-existent. We actually, you know, for a lot of our early events, we're literally going around flyering. That today is a joke, but you know, so much of the of the, the way that we reach people now is digital. And so, finding new and interesting ways to reach people that don't feel like advertisements all all the time. You know, people don't want to be advertised to, at least not you know overtly. And so the internet, obviously, I mean, this is all very obvious, but the internet provides so much creativity for the way that you reach people, and at such low cost. You know, you know, early on, before all those services that were able to really quickly and easily offer you one-page sort of like RCP sites and stuff, we used to build our own custom like .coms for like individual events and stuff like that. That is like a, now obviously an ancient answer, but just finding creative ways to, to reach people. Yeah, that's, that's, that's that, and also like the social media usage has kind of changed like how you would have used 
um, you know, Facebook or, or Instagram a few years ago is way different than now, how to reach people in a, in a more authentic way, a more effective way. Um, I think even just the general protocol of using these, these platforms has changed and people are very sensitive to that. I think it's just constantly navigating and kind of reading stuff and figuring out what's like the next thing. Yeah, whether it's like Snapchat, like to reach certain fans and just knowing the demographic for every event. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's just, I think, to ask like one qualifying question is like, what's the egg that you think the music industry hasn't cracked yet? What social media channel have we not cracked? The obvious answer is Snapchat, right? Which is that everybody's, you know, there's a massive amount of people on Snapchat. A lot of them go to events. And, uh, and, and a lot of them spend a ton of time on Snapchat interacting with their friends. So a lot of people are trying to figure out how to, how to bring what they do into that, into that app, obviously. But it's really difficult to do in a way that, that, is, uh, that isn't, you know, intrusive. And so I think that, you know, people are trying to figure that out. And, there's, and anytime there's like a new, uh, there's a new platform, you know, it's awkward for a while when people try to, to understand how people are using it and how they want to use it and all that stuff. You know, Periscope is a, is a similar example, except in all the ones that are like Periscope. Except, like, you know, in my opinion, so far, no one's, including us, has really figured that out either. Like, how do we how do we provide people a glimpse into what we do that isn't just live, you know, live streaming a, a stage? Because, you know, it's always been my opinion, I think, and I think that uh, it's true that, um, you know, it's just not that exciting to watch a video of, of a show. That's why people go to shows. You know, there's no version of the future in my mind in which people are sitting at home and watching like you know streams of shows instead of being at shows. So any social media strategy to get people content that is just a camera aimed at a stage is like to me very much missing the point of, of kind of how those those channels can be used more creatively. I think it's mostly just because it's hard for the industry right now, or at least there hasn't been a way to really figure out how to condense so much information in such a, you know, quick five second thing to like, boom, just hook you. You know, music has always taken a while to like really build like an emotion and kind of a feeling and, and you know, get someone feeling like they are part of that culture or scene. And that's right now why those two technologies are actually harder, harder to crack. What should people be listening to? I've been listening to a few things that, like, um, today, one being Sleaford Mods, which is, like, this British act, um, two-piece, um, kind of on the punkier side. Cool. What else? Stormzy, Grime. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. UK Grime. I was listening to this Australian band, to Methyl Ethel. Like Methyl Ethel? Um, I'm trying to think what else I, I came across. Um, Roy Edwards from LA, um, more on the techno producer side. Jake, what do you got? I've been listening to a lot of classics here lately. Outcast is probably my favorite group of all time. I've listened to so much Outcast lately. Really doesn't get old. I'm waiting on the new Radiohead album that's going to be this year. I'm very excited about that. That LA Priest record was really good. So oh, good. A lot of Young Thug. Yes. And I've sort of relapsed into into rap big time. It's not a relapse. Anthony so, Pack, who, yeah. who Ram has been talking to a little bit, trying to figure out some, some stuff. This is awesome. That album's amazing. BJ, the Chicago kid, also really good. You heard it here first, everybody. Join us next month for the next episode of Popcast, featuring one of the biggest independent promoters in the Midwest, Adam Lynn of Prime Social Group. 
You'll hear the story of how he booked Nas for his first concert as an unknown college student, his tips for how to get agents on the phone and earn their respect, and much more. We'd like to thank Ghostwave for sharing their song Blue Signal 79 with us for this episode. Blue Signal 79.